1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. We're kind of diving right into the middle of this chapter tonight. And so Paul has in the previous verses, which we'll talk a little bit about later, but he, uh, he's instructing the Corinthians. And at this point, he says, what? What? You can sort of get a sense of the exasperation maybe in his tone of the, uh, of the maybe a little bit of disappointment in the Corinthians. He says, what? Know ye not? So obviously there's something lacking, something that the Corinthians have failed to recognize. He goes, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Aren't you thankful for what we heard on Sunday night? We need to not just have enough. We need to have extra. And guess what? We're temples. The Bible says that we're living temples. We have this privilege to have his spirit living inside of us as vessels of his spirit. And so tonight, by the help of the Holy Ghost, we're going to talk a little bit about living temples. Would you pray with me one more time? Jesus, I'm so thankful, Lord, to be in your house tonight. I'm so thankful for your word, which guides us, which instructs us, which helps us, Lord, to live the life that you've called us to live. And so, Father, I pray that right now you would touch my mind, my lips, my heart, God, that I would speak with clarity what you have given to me. And I pray that you would anoint the ears of your people, the hearts of your people, Lord, to receive this word tonight, to receive your word tonight, that we would go from this place, oh God, feeling the encouragement of your presence, feeling the encouragement of your word and we'll be careful Lord to give you thanks because you're so very good to us tonight one more time if you would just give him a praise thank you Jesus thank you for your word tonight Lord thank you for your word thank you for your spirit thank you for the blood thank you Jesus for the cross for the empty tomb thank you Lord for the life that you've called us to live oh God and for the power to live that life We thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated tonight. On April 15th of this year, the world's attention was drawn to a fire on the roof of the Gothic Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. In the follow-up reporting and announcements by government and church officials, the focus was on the cathedral, on its role in Parisian culture, on its ancient history, the, the relics and the statues and the stained glass that it contained. The focus was on its status as an expression of art, a symbol of religion, and indeed, some says, some say, a world treasure. But in all of the reporting during and immediately after, which, to be fair, was a bit secular in nature, I could not find any reference as to how this tragedy might impact the purpose or the function 
of the cathedral as a place of worship. Now, I'm sure there was impact. Absolutely. I'm sure there was some kind of uh, a halt that, uh, to the, the activities of that church. But all of the focus, it seems, was in the wrong place. You see, Christendom and religion in general, we have a fixation with beautiful buildings, which is fundamentally not a religious ideal, but a human one. As humans, we love to build structures which express our aesthetics, our economics, our technologies. But nowhere can I find in Scripture a situation where God commanded the construction of a permanent structure in which he was to dwell. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hang on a second. What about Solomon's temple? Well, Solomon's temple was David's idea. God didn't command him to build a temple. Uh, In fact, God says, what? You're going to build me a house to dwell in? He accepted it, but he didn't mandate it. Now you might be saying, well, what about the tabernacle? Well, yes, God did command the Israelites to build the tabernacle to exacting specifications, but the tabernacle was not a permanent static structure. Paul said in Acts 17 and 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now, let me be careful to say that I don't diminish, I don't cast aspersions, I don't cast any sort of negative eye on the building that we're in or any current or future construction work that we may be called to do because the Bible is very clear that we're to assemble ourselves together and we must assemble somewhere. So I'm very thankful about this beautiful building that we get to worship God within. But let me tell you tonight that God does not place value in temples of stone. You know why? Because he burned down his own temple, not once, but twice. Yeah, I know that the Babylonians did it the first time, and I know the Romans did it the second time, but can I submit to you that it was his will that those events occur. You see, the only sacred place that God is truly concerned about on earth is the one that wasn't made with human hands, you. You and me. And if we don't fulfill his expectation as living temples, there's no building big enough, no building beautiful enough, no building filled with enough artwork and beautiful things that will satisfy his expectation. But I'm convinced that I'm looking at a group of people here tonight that you've made a commitment, you've made up your mind that you're going to live for God, that you're going to be a living temple. And I believe that we are here in this place to be living temples. Living temples. You see, your body is a sacred space. You are a living temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this. What? We're talking about that scripture again. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now this doesn't mean that we idolize our bodies like our celebrity culture seems to promote on a regular basis. I've known individuals who've gone off the rails with that kind of of an idea. It's a trap that we can fall into which puts focus on the temple, not the God of the temple. This means, however, that we need to view our bodies like the habitation of God that it in fact truly is. Not just our bodies, but our spirit and our soul as well. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 clarifies this for us. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. You are a whole person tonight. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All that is you, everything that you are, needs to be involved and engaged as a sacred space, as a living temple. For a few moments tonight, we're going to take a look at the features of a physical temple and how they contrast with us living temples in three areas. Location, everybody say location. Structure, everybody say structure. And everyone's favorite, maintenance. Location, location, location is a well-worn but a very true mantra in the real estate market. I tried to find out who actually coined the phrase, but it's, it's a bit unclear. And so the first stop in our temple comparison is location. Biblically, we can consider three different reasons for the location of real estate that's been dedicated to God. The first one are altars. Altars could be considered as precursors to the idea of temple, and as such were often constructed in response to spiritual events. Location was usually derived from a personal encounter with God. And so I like to to, to submit to you tonight that this represents proximity to his person. We're going to dive a little bit more into that later. The second location is the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle, as we've already talked about, although it was mobile, was always located wherever the pillar of fire or cloud came to rest. Location, in this case was derived from God's leading, or if I could submit to you, proximity to purpose. And third, the Temple of Solomon was located at the center of Israelite political power, a statement of the importance and the centrality of God to the nation. And I submit to you that this represents proximity to power. So let's dive into each of these a bit more. Number one, altar. So let's talk a little bit about altars. So in order to function properly as a living temple, everybody say, I'm a living temple. In order to function properly as a living temple, we need a direct encounter with God. Anybody believe that tonight? Mm -hmm. Genesis 8 and 20 says, Noah built an altar after God delivered him from the flood. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob built several altars. 
usually as a result of an encounter with God. Moses built an altar after God delivered the Amalekites into their hands in Exodus 17 and 15. So if I could submit to you tonight that the number one requirement that you have as a living temple is you need to have an encounter with the living God. You need to have an encounter that transforms your life, that changes who you are, and can I say that fills you with his spirit. You need the power of the Holy Ghost to be a living temple. But let's take a closer look at another altar that was made by Moses. Exodus 20, 22 through 24 says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me altars of silver, neither shall ye make unto you altars or gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee. And the Bible says, I will bless thee. You see, before Christ, an altar signified an encounter with God and the promise of his name, his presence, and his blessing. But today, in the New Testament, uh, in the New Testament era, we have the opportunity to be born again, to have an encounter with God that the Old Testament prophets could only dream of and hope about. And because of that encounter, we have his name applied. As living temples, we have the privilege and the responsibility to continue in proximity to the person of Jesus Christ. Not just on special occasions, not just when some dramatic thing occurs in the life of you or your nation, but you have the privilege to be in close proximity to Jesus Christ every single day that you live. You don't have to build a building. You don't have to build an altar. You don't have to slaughter an animal. You can wake up in the morning, put your knees on the floor, and talk to the living God. You have this privilege because his name has been applied to your life, and we have the promise that he will be with us. John 15 and 4 says abide in me and I in you we need to have a daily altar of prayer a daily encounter with God and we can do that because of what Jesus did on Calvary as living temples our spiritual location in relation to Christ is absolutely paramount And requires us actively immersing our spirit in his spirit. And allowing his spirit to be immersed in us. We can talk all we want about um, language immersion. I'm 
I'm a big fan of, of French immersion. My son's gone through French immersion, and there are other immersion programs in the world. But can I tell you tonight that more than any sort of language immersion, we need spirit immersion. We need to allow ourselves to soak and to marinate in the word and in his spirit because you're not going to find it out there. Out there, the world is going to try to marinate you in their culture, in their ideology, in their way of thinking. And that's why we need to come to church on a Wednesday night Bible study so that we can get some of the word in our spirit, some of, this, for some of his spirit in our living temple so that we can have the walk with God that we need to have. 1 Corinthians 6 and 17 says, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit, one spirit. So we need altars. We need to have a direct encounter with God. But let's talk a little bit about the tabernacle or proximity to purpose. You see, in order to function properly as a living temple, we also need to center ourselves within the work of God in our lives. Now, this is indeed a challenge that's very, very easy to mess up. You see, the kingdom of God is dynamic. Anybody believe that tonight? (laughs) Very dynamic. And it's constantly in motion. Why? Because it primarily involves people who are dynamic in nature and dynamic in motion. When the Spirit moved in the Old Testament, the tabernacle moved. When the spirit moves, we need to move. But it's so easy to just do nothing. It's so easy to just kind of sit where we are. And I'm not talking about a pew. I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about a place in God. It's so easy to just do nothing. But if you do nothing, the spirit very well may move and you'll find yourself wondering, well, where did everybody go? And unfortunately, it's very easy to get into this place where you come to the house of God and everybody's, it seems like everybody else is with it. It seems like everybody else is is moving with the spirit except for you. And can I submit to you that it very well may be that when the spirit moved, you didn't. And so this applies, you see, not just in the dynamic nature of our services. I'm not talking about just what happens here in this place, but it also applies to the dynamic nature of your service, whatever that might mean to you personally. This also means that we must respect and support all the other living temples around us in their effort to be at the center of God's will. You see, God's kingdom is not a zero-sum game where just a few get to fulfill God's purpose and the rest of us Just look on. Everyone can and should operate in the center of God's will for their lives. And can I tell you tonight that this isn't something which divides the kingdom. This is something which multiplies the kingdom. When you're living as a living temple within the center of God's plan for your life, you are multiplying the efforts of all of the other living temples that are around you. That's why it's so important for you and I to make sure, absolutely sure, we're as close to the center of God's will as we we can get. We need to be in proximity to his purpose. Now, you might be thinking that term proximity 
seems a little bit strange. Why wouldn't I be at the center of God's will? I don't want to just be in proximity to God's will. Well, can I tell you that a lot of us make mistakes? Now, I know maybe none of you here do, but I do all the time. And so, you know what? As long as you're making the very best effort that you can to be at the center of God's will, as long as you're in proximity, as close as you can get to the center of God's will, rely on his grace to make up the difference. So we've talked about proximity to the person of Jesus. We've talked about proximity to purpose. Let's talk a few minutes about proximity to power. From the moment Solomon's temple was constructed, there was an inextricable link between politics and piety. I just, that sounds so punchy. Everybody say politics and piety. Politics and piety. When the temple was ascendant and the king submitted to God, the kingdom prospered. When the temple was in decline and the king resisted God, the kingdom floundered. You see, the location mattered between the kingdom and the temple in Jerusalem because the distance was so short between the throne and the temple that changes were extremely quick to take effect. You can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 11. We read the story of Joash's coronation and the immediate, who was the power, sorry, the immediate execution of the queen mother Athalia and that happened almost instantaneously. It was quick. Joash was crowned king and immediately they sent out the executioners to find the queen mother Athalia. So between politics and piety, there's a, there's a back and forth that happens there. Now, we don't have kings and temples that interact in this way anymore. But if we consider what this means at a personal level, we can draw a conclusion that as temples, we have been placed next to people of power in our lives. Their power might be political. It might be in wealth or in influence. It might just be power over us in terms of employment or assistance. Regardless, as living temples, we must be careful to guard against the negative influence their power might have over us. But on the flip side, we need to be aware that we might have this relationship because of the influence we can have for the kingdom of God. Esther was in this very circumstance when the Jews were under threat and Mordecai told her that, who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Your life as a living temple brings you into contact with individuals that nobody else in God's kingdom might ever have a chance to interact with. So make sure that you view these relationships very carefully and consider what God might be asking of you. You see, very at the very minimum, our goal should be to leave every interaction with another individual in such a way that they think more positively of Jesus and hopefully by implication of us Christians. Your role as a living temple is not to score political points. It's to declare the gospel. 
It's not to condemn people, it's to commend Christ. It's not to overpower others with your wit, it's to overcome with your witness. Your location in respect to God, his will, and others matters. We need to have proximity to his person. We need to have a direct encounter with God. We need to have proximity to his purpose. We need to make sure that we are following the plan of God for our lives. And as we fulfill these things, God will give us proximity to power, to people of influence. So we've talked a lot about location. Let's talk a little bit about structure. And we're doing good for time, so don't worry. Let's talk a little bit about structure. So we've talked about you as a living temple and the various points of location that you need to be aware of, but let's talk about structure. Structure of a temple determines things like function, capacity, resilience, but most importantly serves to facilitate the worship of the God of the temple. Solomon's temple was designed to allow for the function of sacrifice and ministration based on the tabernacle of Moses, which was by uh, direct interpretation of God's direct command. Now, Solomon's temple was very large for its time, but very small by even medieval comparisons. The Notre Dame Cathedral is 127 meters long by 48 meters wide by 43 meters high, and compared to the temple's dimensions of 27 by 9 by 14. It's a lot smaller. In fact, you could probably fit Solomon's temple within the Notre Dame Cathedral. The cathedral was completed in 1345 and has lasted, so far, over 600 years since completion. Now, rabbinical sources indicate Solomon's temple stood for about 410 years, Josephus reports 470 years, but regardless, the temple, like the cathedral, was designed to stand for hundreds of years. We just don't build them like that anymore, do we? 1 Corinthians 5 and 17 17 says this, And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones, to lay the foundation of the house. Now, while the structure of stone was important, it was the adornments of gold-covered cedar and the furniture of ancient practice. I'm talking about the candlestick and uh, the table of showbread and the Ark of the Covenant. It was these, uh, these items of, of worship that glorified God, reflected his majesty, and provided the ability to minister. Now you have a physical structure, just like the temple. Does anybody know what that is? It's your body, which Paul entreats us to handle with care. Now the context, let's go back to our text. I said we were going to talk a little bit about the context of that, and now we're going to. The context of our text is revealed by the previous verse. 1 Corinthians 6 and 18 says this, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, Paul's talking about fleeing from sexual immorality, which absolutely we should, but we can reasonably extend 
his thought to a principle that includes any sort of lustful appetite which harms the body. So let me ask you this question, then I'll move on. Is there anything you are doing to your body which harms it, abuses it, or otherwise diminishes its capacity to serve? I'll leave you with that thought. You see, your physical body, regardless of its shape or size, is a gift from God. Everybody say, my body's a gift from God. It is. And it's a gift that functions best when it serves as a temple. Unlike the temple of Solomon, it's not built to last for hundreds of years. I know when you're 20, late teens, early 20s, you think you're going to live forever. I'm looking over in this direction because that's where they're all sitting, mostly. You think you're going to live forever. But by about age 40, 30, 35, do I get... You start to realize that, you know what, this, this flesh is not made to last forever. You start to get some warning signs, some clear signals that, guess what, things are changing and not for the better. <clears throat> and I know that, um, I know that uh, there are lots of you in this place that probably find yourself over that age uh, that point in which you, you realize that maybe things are starting to go a little downhill rather than uphill. <clears throat> but nevertheless, point at your body and say, this body is a gift from God. Whether it's age 40, age 50, age 60, 70, 80, it's a gift from God. And it's, and it's a living temple that needs to be filled with his presence. But someday, can I remind you and encourage you that you're going to get a new body. Everybody lift your hands and say, I'm going to get a new body. And that body is going to last for eternity. I know there's probably a few gray hairs in this place that on a Sunday night when you see these young people running up and down the altars that you kind of wish, you know what, I, I wish I had the energy to do that. But unfortunately, age has caught up with you, but can I tell you tonight that one of these days, you're going to get a new body, one that Christ has prepared for you, and someday you're going to have enough energy that you're going to spin circles, you're going to run around, you're going to sing, you're going to dance like you've never danced before, because you have this promise that you're going to get a new body. But until then, you're stuck with this one. And we need to be careful how we treat it, each in his own unique way. So this physical structure is something that we need to be aware of and to take care of. But you also have a spiritual structure consisting of your soul and spirit. Your mind, emotions, and will make up what we usually consider as our soul. Our conscious mind is where we think and reason, whereas our subconscious mind is the deep well of core belief and mindset where we feel emotion and we remember. Within all of this, we exercise our will. Meanwhile, it's through our spirit that we reach out and commune with God and experience meaning. And it's through our spirit that God communes with us to teach us right from wrong. Just like your physical body, 
We must act as caretaker for our soul and our spirit. And this means three things that we're going to finish off with tonight. That mean, this means building resilience through doctrine, exercising capacity through experience, and ultimately glorifying God through our works and our fruit. Can you give me 10 more minutes? All right. As living temples, we need to be resilient. We need to be prepared against the winds of adversity and the hostility that's so prevalent in our culture. Well, so how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, Jesus reveals through Scripture is the foundation on which our temple is built. Let me say that again. Jesus revealed through Scripture is the foundation on which our temple is built. 1 Corinthians 3 and 11 says this, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 2 and 20 says this, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, on top of this foundation, let me submit to you that doctrine is the structure which gives us resilience. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says this, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and by cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Without correct doctrine, without proper structure, you will fail to grow. Your structure will be weak and prone to collapse. I know that sometimes we get it in our mind that, oh, doctrine, it's sort of this stuff that we don't really want to think about too much because it involves thinking and study and awareness and understanding. It might seem a little dusty, perhaps, But doctrine is so very critical, so very important to the life of a child of God, to the lives of living temples. Paul said to Timothy, he said this, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. The doctrinal reinforcement of preaching and personal study gives us strength to resist and reject the deception of the enemy and the lusts of our society. Paul recommends that we grow up. We need to grow up As living temples, we need a constantly developing and renewing structure of doctrine in our lives. Living temples need structure. Living temples need sound doctrine. Doctrine is not dusty dogmatism. Doctrine is a biblical barrier against the hostility that we have in this world. When the winds of the world come blowing against you, you know what's going to hold you up? It's the doctrine that you have in your spirit. It's the truth that you have woven into the structure of your temple. 
That's what's going to keep you up. This structure is not a static one as well. It's not a one and done construction effort. It's a continuous process of growing up. I read a CBC article not too long ago and it talked about a couple who uh, were building a home in southeast New Brunswick. Some of you here may even know the home I'm talking about. And I'm going to quote it here. On Route 106 between Memram Cook and Dorchester in southeast New Brunswick, there's a home that stops traffic. Lenny and Francois Como have been renovating it for 25 years. (laughs) I do not want to renovate a home for 25 years. But they are, and, and God bless them for it, They're taking it from a run-of-the-mill, somewhat dilapidated house to a do-it-yourself castle. I didn't have a plan or anything. I just built it, Francois said. Now, unlike the Comos, we have a clear plan. We have the word of God, the doctrine that we find in the Bible. But like the Comos, we are living temples. We are ongoing projects. We are an ever-going construction project. If you love construction, then guess what? You should be glad you're a living temple. Point to yourself and say, I'm a construction project. (laughs) We're doing a lot of pointing at ourselves, aren't we, tonight? (laughs) So, resilience. To be resilient as a living temple, you need doctrine. Let's talk about capacity. Unlike a physical temple, which is constrained by its weighty structure once it's built, you have an unlimited capacity to grow. Not sideways. I'm talking about spiritually tonight. You have an unlimited capacity to grow, which in turn continues to add to your spiritual weight. Now, what's the trigger that makes us grow? Trouble. Trouble. Has anybody here ever exercised? Do you know what exercise is? It's troubling your muscles. In order to make your muscles grow, you got to put them through some trouble and some pain. Have you ever felt uncomfortable when faced with something new that you had to master or overcome, whether it's in school or on the job? That's a process that's well known. You you face that challenge and you're uncomfortable. You're not sure you're going to get through it. But as soon as you go through the trouble, guess what? You're now an expert. Or you now have that that concept under your belt. This is trouble, and it's for your benefit. uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And then later in that very same chapter, Paul kind of illuminates this, and he says in verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, 
Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, our trouble, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For the Christian, the trouble that you experience in this life, the trials, the circumstances, the challenges, has the effect of making you grow, of adding to your spiritual weight. So as long as you approach troubling situations without fainting, your spiritual capacity will grow. And this growth has a purpose. You see, this purpose is the glorifying of God through our works and our fruit. Now, let's just make sure that we're, <clears throat> we're kind of wrapping this all up. So we've got a structure. The structure is resilient through doctrine. But that structure can grow. How does it grow? It grows through trouble. And what's the purpose of this structure and this growth? It's so that you can produce fruit. So that you can do good works. You see, adornment is our works and our fruit. If you were to visit a temple that exists today, whether it's um, you know, a Buddhist temple or a cathedral or whatever, when you walk into that temple, guess what? You're not going to really pay much attention to the structure. You might not even really pay too much attention to the size. In some cases, you probably will. But what your eyes are going to be drawn to are the adornments. Your eyes are going to be drawn to the stained glass windows. Those don't serve any structural purpose. They don't, they're not helping the, that temple grow. Your eyes might be drawn to some statues, perhaps, or, or, or some gold-covered you know, artistry. That's what your eyes are drawn to. Because you see, the structure is hidden from view. What we see here in this place, this is all adornment. I don't think you can actually see any structure. I should have asked Pastor Jack about this, but all of the stucco that's on the wall, all of the wallboard, that's not structural. That's adornment. The structure's hidden from view. Okay? And so what you see doesn't constitute the strength of the building. They're adornments. And so there's a principle there. We don't attract people with our doctrine. Hmm? We attract people with our good works, with our fruit, with the adornments of our temple. <clears throat> so sound doctrine doesn't usually win souls. It preserves them. Good works win souls, but rarely preserves them. So we need both. Titus 2, 7 through 10 says this, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. Not answering again, not purloining, not, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. On the scaffolding of the structure of doctrine, we've talked about that structure. On that structure, we develop good works 
and patterns of behavior. Not works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. Titus 3 and 8 says this. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. You see, these things are good and profitable unto men. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God that the man of God may be perfect. Here it is. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You are a living temple tonight. You need to be furnished. Anybody would like to live in a house that doesn't have any furnishings in it? It might be hard to find a place to sleep, a place to sit, a place to, you know, make your, make your meals. <clears throat> a home is not a home without furnishings. A temple, a living temple, is not a living temple without furnishings. You need to have some furnishings in your life. You need to have some good works, some fruit of the Spirit in your life. Why? Why are we doing this? Well, Jesus said it in Matthew six, uh, 5 and 16. That let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And here it is. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's all stand tonight. Let me see if I can bring this all together. You are a living temple. You have the privilege to house the spirit of the living God. But you need to make sure that your structure is resilient, that you have the strength, the steel of the doctrine of God at work in your life, building you up and helping you to grow through the troubles that you face in life, through the circumstances that you face in life. You will grow for the purpose of being adorned, of having the good works and the fruit of the Spirit active in your life. All of this for the purpose of glorifying God so that this world can see, yes, there are indeed living temples in this place, living temples in this nation, in this province, in this city, in this community. We need to be living temples. As, as uh, the preacher said on Sunday night, we need to have this, the power of the Holy Ghost at work in us, at overflowing in us, and, 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 uh, affecting the community that's around us. And we can do that, but we need to do that with the understanding that we're living temples. Living temples. I was going to talk a little bit about maintenance, but we're, we're out of time. So I wonder if you would just take a minute. I don't know if part of this kind of sunk home, something up that I've said tonight, something that the word has spoken, has lodged in your heart, but I wonder if let's just take a couple of minutes right now. And let's open ourselves to the Spirit. Let's allow the word to echo in our mind and in our heart. And in your own way, I wonder if right now you'd begin to talk to God and ask God to, to remind you and to, to strengthen that thing that you heard, which will be of, of help to you this week, this month, the rest of this year. Let's talk to God for just a minute. Jesus, we're so thankful for your word tonight. We're so thankful, God, that you've saved us.
We're so thankful, God, that we've been born again, that we have been baptized in Jesus' name, that we have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Lord, and that all of that was predicated on a repenting before you. But, God, we need to repent once again. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as living temples to be clean. Help us, O God, to be swept. Help us, O God, to have the furnishings that you desire so that we will attract those that need to know this gospel, so that we will attract those that need to hear the truth of your word and feel what we feel in this place and know what we know and experience what we experience. Jesus, I pray. Lord, that you would move in us, O oh God. Help us, Lord, to move with your presence, to move with your spirit. God, to move as you move in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, where, when we go to school, wherever we are, I pray, Jesus, that we would be examples, that we would be living temples of the Holy Ghost. And God, that we would not be foolish, O oh God, as the foolish virgins, that we would not even be wise like the wise virgins were God but that we would overflow with the power of the Holy Ghost Lord that we would be vessels conduits of your spirit through which this world could be ministered to in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus oh we worship you tonight God we thank you for what we've heard Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we worship you tonight, Jesus. We thank you, God that you've saved us. We thank you, God, that you've redeemed us. We thank you, Lord, that you've set us apart. We thank you, Jesus, oh God, for all that you've done for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you tonight. <clears throat> well, thank you for being in Bible study tonight. I hope something in this was of benefit to you. And as you go from this place, greet one another, another and be reminded that you are a living temple tonight. Amen. God bless you. Amen. You are dismissed.